Retro Gear. Retro Gear Solid is one of the most secret hidden podcasts. How could you have known? I've listened to a few episodes in the past. Well, you're in for a really good episode today, so stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome back to a long-awaited episode for the podcast. I'm once again your host, Hampton, along with Jared. And this week, we're going to be talking about Metal Gear Solid. And if you can't tell by your podcast name, this is one of our favorite games of all time. Um, before we start this off, I thought we should talk about how we became fans of the Metal Gear Solid franchise. So I thought I'd let uh, Jared start with this. So how did you hear about it, bud? Um, I think my brother had a copy of Poops, and that's how I, like, I was like, oh, I want to play, like, a game in the series as well. Poops as in portable ops. <laughs> yeah. I love calling it Poops, because that's what it is. Just for the listeners that might not know. three the... is the first one that I played, and then I played the first one. I believe it was also my first two. The third one. Yeah, my brother also had a copy of 3, and then I wanted to get the series, so I got the three-part bundle that was on the PS2, which had 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, luckily... It 8-bit games, unfortunately. When I'm thinking back on it, you luckily had the um, backwards-compatible PS3 with PlayStation 2 games, so that's kind of how you were able to... Well, yeah, I also had a PS2 as well, but... Right. Yeah, actually, I do remember you having a PS2 too, but... You had, like, one of the rare backwards-compatible PS3s out on the market. It wasn't, like, a launch PS3, but it was, like, an early SKU. Oh, yeah, close enough. I mean, you were really close to launch. I think you are only a year out, maybe not even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, that's basically how I got into the series. My brother, part of it... I think I watched, like, a couple of YouTube videos or something. I don't remember about, like, you know, the series. I'm like, oh, this is, like, the best thing ever. Yeah, it was kind of in the age of, like, Let's Plays. I feel like I remember watching a lot of Let's Plays. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, if that was if probably what you were them. watching. Yeah. Yeah, Because, yeah. I mean, like, it was a great way for, at least in the Middle Gear Solid franchise, too, to learn about a lot of the secrets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess so for how I got into it. We kind of talked about it a little bit before, but I'm almost positive that you were the one that got me into Metal Gear Solid, but you weren't necessarily the reason why I had like purchased the game or anything like that. Um, I do remember Metal Gear Solid 3 being probably the first one I played, and that one was a copy that I had borrowed from, you remember John, um, yeah. from our childhood, and uh, I borrowed a copy from him. I never completed the game, but, you know, I do remember liking it. I might have gotten past the fight with the end, and I just thought that, I mean, that's one of the best boss battles of all time, but, you know, we'll save that kind of conversation maybe for when we get to that game in the future, but... I actually um, remember that copy you got from John. I think I still have it. I don't think I ever gave it back to him. (laughs) I (laughs) I have two copies of Metal Gear Solid 3. One, I have, like, the case and everything for and the other one's just a loose disc and I don't really know where I got them from because I never purchased the game 
and I know for a fact one of them I borrowed from John, but I don't know why I had two copies floating around. Honestly, I really You're don't. A thief. You know, it was kind of one of those things where, like, when you're growing up, I guess a little side tangent, like, I have a lot of PlayStation 2 games in particular that I know I got from, like, trading around. You know what I mean? Like, you'd let somebody borrow your game, and you'd borrow theirs, and then you'd, like, never really trade it back for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, it was kind of no harm, no foul, because they're not asking for their game back. I'm not asking for their game back. So, like, you just... (laughs) I don't remember doing that at all. <laughs> well, like from Connor, I have a copy of Crash Twin Sanity that I know was his. And then, like I said, I have the Metal Gear Solid from John. And then, like, I think I have a third game, too, from somebody I'm not remembering exactly. I think I have Sonic Collection Plus that also was from Connor. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, a bunch of games that I shouldn't have but i just do because of you know what i mean and i don't even remember what the circumstances were and i've just had them my whole life at this point now so they're <laughs> yours just, now basically um but anyways yeah so mgs3 was my first game borrowed it and then i started collecting a lot more for the playstation one and you know i remember watching a lot of top 10 lists and almost every single list had metal gear solid as like the number one game on the platform of all time on it like you it's probably almost like a parody. It's like every top ten PS one game list I've ever seen had Metal Gear Solid, either that or Final Fantasy Seven as number yeah. one. It was yeah, crazy. Final Fantasy like Seven one A and one B. Yeah, like no was the, the only exception was if Final Fantasy Seven, but those were always number one and two. Um, yeah, and I wasn't really into RPGs at the time, and I kind of already knew that maybe I wasn't going to be super into Final Fantasy Seven, so I just decided to pick up Metal Gear Solid. I think the reason why I was a bit hesitant on it as well was that it looked very different from 3, and I was like, you know, usually series get better as they continue on, so I didn't think I would like going back to an earlier version. It'd be like starting with, like, Mario 3 and then playing, like, the first Mario game or something. That's what I thought in my head at least. So I was like... So I was like, yeah, I'm not really down for that. But then, you know, eventually I kind of just buckled and was like, how can I be a PlayStation 1 game collector and not have this in my collection? So yeah. I ended up getting a Greatest Hits copy. I think I got it on Amazon, uh, which is kind of weird. But uh, the Amazon reseller platform used to be like a little treasure trove for picking up used games because you get these people that didn't really know what they had and for some reason they weren't people that wanted to sell on ebay so and there wasn't like a whole lot of competition i don't think a lot of people thought to buy used things on amazon like i did so yeah like people and there's no images usually attached to um the used games on there so like somebody could be selling a used copy of metal gear solid with no description and It'd be like $10, right? Uh, and then people would base their sale off of that. And usually the one without a description, it kind of like, if it's only $10, it kind of implies that it's probably disc only. But then people with like the full manual and case and stuff would just list theirs at the same price because they think that that's the going rate. Yeah. Because they don't understand that disc only is going to be a lot cheaper. So like, I think I got my copy for like $10 or something. 
It was like... You want, you want to know how I got my copy of MGS1? Well, it, I thought yours came with the bundle. Yeah, uh, I bought it at like Walmart or something. Uh, I need my mom's permission. It was rated M for mature. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember okay. one... Actually, we'll get into it a little bit later. I was going to bring up one thing about that particular version of the game that's a bit different than you know, the base release on the PS1, but we'll get to it a little later. I'll, I'll save it. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, and I, I got a Grace's copy and I still have it. I got a black label like later on down the line, but then I kind of sold my collection off and I kind of decided to keep the greatest hits one. Uh, it just was a little more sentimental to me because it's kind of the, those were the discs I did all my playthroughs on. So yeah. I don't know. It just had a place in my heart. So even though, Black labels are very coveted. I decided to keep the greatest hits one because it's just the one I've always had at this point. So I don't think I'll ever get rid of that one in particular. But yeah, long-winded. But that's kind of basically how I got into the series a little bit. So when I started playing it, I really didn't like it. Um, and Jared, you were the one that kind of got me to fall in love with the game because... I was having a really hard time, and you know, I've kind of discovered this about myself as like a player, is that if I get stuck early on, or if something bugs me about the game early on, or I get confused, or like something like that, I usually will just drop the game, which is kind of what happened with Metal Gear Solid. I didn't give it like a whole lot of time. I In that opening segment, you know, the elevator goes up, and then like, you know, you're getting used to the controls. I've never really played a stealth game before this. Yeah. Even though I had played MGS3, but if you've ever played both of versions, like Metal Gear Solid 1 versus Metal Gear Solid 3, they are functionally very different. different. Yeah. Um, so, like, even though I had played MGS3, uh, MGS1 was so different that, you know, I was struggling with getting through the opening bit. I didn't understand that eventually you have to wait for the elevator to come back down, so I was, like, lost. I couldn't get out of the opening area, and I couldn't be fucked to, like stand around long enough for the elevator to come down so yeah yeah so i just assumed i didn't know what i was doing and i just turned the game off and i never really went back to it for a little while until you told me how much you love this series and i was like okay you just got to show me what the deal is with this because i can't get behind it and you kind of we kind of played through it together you like walked me through the game i think for the most part i was in control except for maybe like some of the harder boss battles I think you did for me like maybe Metal Gear Rex I, I'm I, it's a bit hazy but oh funny this... thing about that I my recent play through the game I couldn't beat Rex I literally didn't know what I was doing <laughs> oh my gosh so like another, yeah I don't know how to do it anymore <laughs> another story about Rex is like for some reason I so I took Metal Gear Solid I bought the digital copy for some reason on the PlayStation Network like PS3 um, and like the, um, the main reasoning was because I could play it on my PSP. Um, so I thought that was like super cool, right? Being able to play it on the PSP. Um, I could see where this is going. I actually got, no, I got to the Metal Gear Rex fight and it's the only time I've gone through the Metal Gear, Metal Gear Rex fight without taking a single hit of damage. I kited it perfectly. And I was like frame perfect. Like it was like speedrun worthy damn near. I don't know what they they probably cheese it somehow in speedruns nowadays. But like if you're just doing raw gameplay, like no cheating or anything like that, I literally was like frame perfect, like 
dodging everything, landing all my rockets. I never got hit once. It was I, I'm doing it on the fucking PSP, dude. Where like the weapon swapping. So like because for anybody that hasn't played a Metal Gear Solid game, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but just for context of the story, um, you're able to reload weapons by double tapping, um, like either R1 or L1, depending on whether you're using like a gun or if you're using like grenades or something like that. I actually, I guess you don't really ever need to do it with grenades. Those don't reload. Duh. But basically if you double tap R1, it'll instantly like reload your weapon. So, the problem is, is that you don't have an R1 or L1 in on a PSP, so you can still achieve the same result by double tapping R2. It's just a lot clunkier because it's pulling up the menu when you do it. So I did this with like the clunky menu and everything, uh, like doing the double tap to reload the missile launcher you need at the end of the game. Never took a hit of damage. I don't know how the fuck I did it. It's the only time I ever didn't take a hit of damage but this was like peak Metal Gear Solid playing for me that was probably like my 10th playthrough and like I had probably played through the game at that point like four times in a row or something and I was like alright I want to play through it on the PSP now and I did it like on a car ride or something like it was like a six hour car ride and I beat it in like five hours or Wait, something. From where? Uh, the well, car ride I mean. Wisconsin to Michigan visiting oh, my grandparents okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah I beat it in like one car in one city. I cannot not imagine playing it on that thing i struggle with the rex fight every time i play honestly like i never fucking get it right i'd probably be rusty yeah i'd probably be rusty now but uh you know at the time i had played through it just so many times i i literally was getting that game down to a science i was getting like so good at it you should become a speedrunner maybe dude probably the best mgs speedrunner of all time and i don't even know it because i haven't tried yet (laughs) <laughs> but uh, anyways, like I said, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves because obviously that's the end of the game, but I just thought that was a fun story. Um, with the intros kind of done, uh, what are your overall thoughts on like the gameplay style? And like, I guess to elaborate on that a little bit more, let's try comparing it to like later entries in the Metal Gear Solid franchise and maybe other stealth games if you've played them before. Like I had played a little bit of some of the Splinter Cell games. Didn't really particularly... I mean, that's fine, but I just, you know, if you had um, just kind of like tossing in the mix. But like, I think, mm, I guess before I give you a chance here, I just feel like Metal Gear Solid 1 in particular has a very unique gameplay style compared to every other entry in the series it kind of stands alone um on its own mechanics um so i don't know what what were your thoughts on it like do you think this is like the definitive way to play mgs um i mean they made an entire vr game so like with just like the mechanics alone so kind of like speaks to itself like how good like the base gameplay is um Snake goes really fast in this game compared to every other game. It's like you can like blow through like the entire game in a few hours. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I would kind of agree with you a little bit on that, actually. Yeah, I would say it's more akin to Metal Gear Solid 2. Like Raiden can get around um, the tanker pretty fast, but 
Yeah, I think... For the shell. I don't know why yeah, I said tanker. Shell. Yeah. Um, if you're not playing on the hardest difficulty, you can look at the radar 90% of the time. Um, yeah, if you want to actually, like, challenge yourself with the game, uh, play with the radar off. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where later on... Like, after so many playthroughs, I, I think we did play through the game on the hardest difficulty. And honestly... Compared to, like, Euro Extreme and, you know, like, MGS3, uh, I actually didn't find the hardest difficulty in the first Metal Gear Solid to be as bad because once you just kind of know the enemy placements... Yeah, you just know it. It's basically the same routes. Like, nothing really changes. Um, I mean, you take more damage, they take less, I'd imagine. Like, bosses are slightly harder. Yeah, I mean, just to dive a little bit deeper into it, like, my opinion of it is... And the reason why I asked if I... Th if you thought this was a definitive like Metal Gear Solid playing experiences because I kind of uh, I kind of do feel like this is my favorite way to play Metal Gear Solid I think that this a spoiler alert is why this is my favorite entry in the entire Metal Gear Solid series uh, the gameplay as um, as I don't want to say primitive because it's definitely not it's very fleshed out but as experimental as it was at the time and, you know, later entries would add more to the gameplay uh, to kind of flesh it out. I just feel like for what it is, it's so self-contained and, like, perfect in the way it's designed. Everything in the game is set up uh, perfectly for the mechanics of what the game is built around, if that makes sense. Where I think you can see when the level design really starts to break down is when you play the GameCube version of this game, which has the same exact level layouts, but with, like, an updated version engine. of the game engine. Like, I can imagine you can just sit in the corner in, like, the tanker room and just pick off all the enemies with your suppressed, um, like, gun. And it's like, that's not how you're supposed to play the game. Like, that's not how it's intended to be played. You're supposed to sneak around them and stuff. I mean... Like, you can't, like, shoot across the room with a gun in the original game, whereas you can in the other ones. Yeah, I feel like being able to go into first-person mode in the Twin Snakes version of Metal Gear Solid is, like, completely game-breaking. It makes every level seem a lot easier, uh, just because you can shoot guards and, like, the cameras from a very long range and you don't really have to dodge around them almost at all. Um, and it makes the level design seem a lot smaller and even, like, clunkier to a certain extent. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, yeah, um, in the original game, the only gun you can use that can shoot in first person is a Stinger missile, and you don't get it until, like, halfway through the game. You can, you can also... cameras with it, too. Yeah, you can also go first person with the PSG, but, like, it's gimped you're because you're, yeah, because you're prone. You, like, scope, yeah. It's, like, clunky, but... Um, Intentionally clunky so that, you know, it's not game-breaking. <laughs> like, can you just try cameras with the PSG? Yes, you can. I didn't know that. I know you can shoot liquid on Rex with the PSG. Yep. After he opens the thing. Yeah, it's just, like, really hard to find, like, uh, areas and stuff to be able to pull the PSG out and make it work. But, I think uh, you can do it in the nuclear warhead storage building. Yeah, we'll get to that a little later, but that's, like, one of my f favorite cheeses in the game. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, outside of, 
you know what the twin snakes does i, I think like that's was just like kind of my whole point is like you can tell that the game is very much designed around its own mechanics because you can see how game breaking it is once you add the more advanced mechanics that come in later entries so like to me it's just so self-contained like perfect it's it's almost like i know this is going to sound a little bit out there but like the original castlevania game like you think about like more you know newer entries of castlevania like imagine how game breaking it would be if like your whip was as versatile as it is in like castlevania 4 and i know you probably haven't really played it but i'm, I'm sure you know kind of what i'm talking about um like the game would play completely differently i haven't played it but i only know why i only know what you're talking about because i saw like the avgn episodes for it yeah right exactly i'm a big gamer but like um yeah i mean like the, the original castlevania a lot of people would say is like it's a very self-contained just like perfect experience for what it sets out to to do and like i kind of feel like the original metal gear solid is somewhat in that vein where like yeah later entries in the series like build upon uh an extremely solid foundation but like even going back to the original metal gear solid on its own merits it is built perfectly around like the few mechanics that it it is introducing to you if that makes sense yeah so yeah i, mean, I don't know like, go ahead mgs2 vr is like really good but so is mgs1 vr like they're both like really good in their own right yeah i actually like, really love doing the vr missions in mgs1 and i actually really liked playing the additional missions in the you know actual metal gear solid like vr mission disc release I used to own that one too, and I, I believe I beat the whole thing. I'm having a hard time recollecting, but um, you know, it's just like a fun romp, like just controlling Snake and you know, sneaking around bad guys, and like just the whole fluidity of the whole thing. It just feels good to be Snake in this game, and I can't really say that that's true. Even in, like, Metal Gear Solid 3, like, does it feel good running around as Snake in Metal Gear Solid 3? Like, there's times where I would say yes, but, like, not all the time. Like, especially, like, certain aiming mechanics and, like, certain sections of the game feel very, very clunky. Because I feel like the controls in that game are trying to do too much. Um, where in the original Metal Gear Solid, like, I don't think I ever have a moment where I'm like, man, this feels really clunky. Like... Using the PSG, I guess, feels a little clunky. Using, like, the Stinger Missile, maybe. But, like, it's an intentional kind of clunky so that you aren't breaking the game by using the weapon. Um, and it's in a way that's unintended. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, MGS3 had all those, like, push-sensitive stuff. And I'm like, all right, I got to, like, let go of it slowly so I don't shoot anyone. Or I could just put it away by pressing R2. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the push-sensitive stuff was, like, super annoying. And like I said, some sections were just designed for you to take full advantage of the first-person view, which kind of slows the entire game down. Um, yeah, and like I, how many times are you going to be in first-person in MGS1? Yeah, you're going to whip out those B-knocks again after the opening cutscene. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like... You watch a speedrunner from Metal Gear Solid 3 and you'll probably say, like, what I'm saying isn't true because you can definitely play Metal Gear Solid 3 in a very similar vein to Metal Gear Solid 1. It still has the hold square lock-on system and then you can shoot them without actually using the first-person view. But, it, like, just in terms of a first playthrough of the game, um, 
Metal Gear Solid 1 just ends up feeling a lot less clunky. And the level design is built around it being, you know, it being the way it is. You know, where M- MGS3 isn't really necessarily designed to be sped run in that kind of way. Which is yeah. why, to me, when you watch like a speed run, it looks a little broken. Where it's like they'll just run straight into a guy and then roll and they'll get like knocked out. Like, you can't really do that in the first Metal Gear. You just kind of have to, you know, you have to do it the can proper way, I guess. You can throw in the first game, but it's obviously not as fast. I don't know. Can you throw? I know you can choke them out. I don't know if I've ever thrown anybody in MGS1. Pretty sure you can. Maybe. I If I ever grab a hold of somebody, I'm usually just, like, killing them. Yeah. Which is also another different mechanic, too, where it's, like, no matter what, you're kind of, like, killing somebody. There isn't really, like, a... a don't kill. You know what I mean? Which which makes the no-kill run not in this lethal. game a, a lot harder. Yeah, there's, like, yeah, a... No, yeah, yeah. There's not a non-lethal way to, like, kill somebody. I'm pretty sure in the first Metal Gear Solid, I... There's probably ways um, to do it. You can knock someone out if you punch them hard enough. I do believe you're right. But there's like a lot of instances where if you punch them too much, they won't get knocked out. I think that they, like, sometimes you can straight up kill them too. I, I could be Yeah, wrong, there isn't like but... a trank dart where you can put them to sleep or anything like that. Yeah, so when you're, I mean, no kill runs are like kind of like a fun challenge for me. Uh, doing, like, going through the Metal Gear Solid games. And like, MGS1 is one of the harder ones because you kind of don't have a choice but to actually sneak around the guards sneak because through, yeah. any other method will just end up killing them. Where in, you know, MGS3 you get a lot more options with like Sig Spray and Trank Darts and you even can get the Mosin later on in the game too from, from one of the bosses. So, you know, I just I thought that was a little side thing. There is stun out. grenades, but I think it alerts them. Yeah, stun grenades do work, actually. That's probably the easiest non-lethal way if you're really trying to sprint past like a set of guards in a room you just toss a stun grenade but that's like the only real way to disorient them without killing them basically and it really only incapacitates them for like a half second and it's even disorienting for you because no matter what like I don't think it's no matter what but like 90% of the time the flashbang ends up flashing on your screen too and it's like really obnoxious but yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, how do you... what Like, just to finish up on the gameplay style, like I said, I think for me this is kind of my definitive Metal Gear Solid, like, playing experience. Like, if I were to pick a play style for, you know... Like, if... Uh, let's say they remade, like, Metal Gears 1 and 2, right? And made them, like, 3D games. I would prefer that they made them in MGS1 style versus MGS2 or 3. Any other game. Yeah, or even five or anything like that. I would prefer them to make it in the uh, MGS one style. I don't like. Yeah. What do you think? For me, it's one A and one B between one and two. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they made it in like the two style. Sure. Where yeah. there's like added mechanics and stuff like that. But if it's one, I definitely play the shit out of that. I'm buying that for sixty dollars on GameStop. I'm waiting in line. Let's yeah, I, I guess that is probably the only. Argument. I guess I'm making a lot of comparisons to MGS3, but maybe the more closer comparison would be MGS2. Yeah. Um, where MGS2 is probably the completely fleshed out version of MGS1 that, you know, it's like all the culmination of all the ideas and like probably gameplay elements that they would have struggled to implement in Metal Gear Solid yeah. 1 uh, come to fruition. PS1. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, of the limitations okay, of the hardware. Let's just do use four as a base. L to A, Mortifier, baby. Let's go. You. 
I don't like it. I want square. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, honestly, like, yeah, exactly. I, I guess that's kind of like, honestly, I don't... Like, so, in terms of the evolution of Metal Gear Solid, like, I really do prefer the way MGS4 plays, right? Because it's very pick-up-and-play versus almost every other Metal Gear Solid game, honestly. Almost all the yeah. other ones are, are not just pick-up-and-play, but even with it having, like, theoretically on paper the perfect mechanics, I still would take Metal Gear Solid 1 mechanics over MGS4 any day of the week, to be honest with you. I don't know why. It's just, like, I think there's just a are little more challenge behind to it. give up camera control? Yeah. Because 4 has it and 1 doesn't. Yeah, I'd give up camera control. Two doesn't have it. Three sort of has it because it initially didn't, and then they had the MG3 substance, and then you can. Yep. I mean, like, the fixed angles are usually just about perfect. You know what I mean? The like, you can angles, see everything you need to see. The overhead camera is there to obstruct your view until you go into first person. Like, it's kind of there for a reason. Right. So you're not, like, seeing everything, you know, that you're not supposed to. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, like, well, it just comes down to the level design, right? Like, that's why I think, like, when I was talking about the original, maybe we're getting a little off topic here, but when I was talking about the original two Metal Gear games, like, they seem like they're more fit to be translated into the style of Metal Gear Solid 1 yeah, yeah. than to be translated to fit into the style of MGS4. Like, you'd almost have to redo most of the levels. The level yeah, you'd yeah. have to make it almost unrecognizable from the original product to make the more fleshed out mechanics work where I think if you just took basically the same level design and just made it a 3d environment you could easily slap the Metal Gear Solid 1 mechanics on and it would function almost exactly the same and just be a little more crisp and actually like a fully 3d game I think that's just like the way to go if anybody was going to yeah. do it but anyways yeah I think we talked about the gameplay style enough so wait do you have a favorite then like do you think MGS2 is like the perfect culmination of MGS mechanics or do you think like one is more enjoyable um or three or four you could say any of them <laughs> I said one A and one B between one and two. Oh, fair both, enough like really strong like gameplay games yeah like I said I think it just like when you jump around like if you're going in between the two like really I think the level design changes I think that's what boils down to for me is like if you go with two style then the level design has to be a lot different to accommodate for the added mechanics where like I just like the level design of MGS1 I guess more that's kind of like what it boils yeah, down to for me that's a fair point um so moving on from gameplay style let's take a little bit of a break from like actually talking about the gameplay maybe uh talk a little more on like the story of the game and I don't want to get like super deep because this could end up being an unbelievably long section because of just how deep like the MGS lore actually goes uh, between all deep five lore. games well I say deep all five but lore. there's like more like six or god forbid somebody says seven <laughs> don't count uh, poops count. don't, don't, don't count, count poops, poops. Um, it's not canon to me that's like a filler but yeah like so just gross. yeah oh my gosh <laughs> maybe we'll, one day we'll get to that one too I'm sure but like uh just Metal Gear Solid 1 isolated like let's not take into account like the other games but I mean you could take into account like the first Metal two Metal Gear games but I yeah, just mean yeah, yeah. it's own like isolated experience without the influence of 
entries that kind of messed with this story afterwards. Um, like, how did you feel playing playing through it? I mean, it's still a great game, even when taking all the other games into account. But on as it stands on its own, it's still a freaking great story. It's like a movie. I could watch it over and over again. It's something I come back to like once, maybe every year or two. Yeah, when it comes to the story, I ha- I, I keep talking about MGS3. But I mean, like, I, the reason why I do it is because... In terms of, like, the story and gameplay, like, between MGS 1 and 3, I, like, could flip-flop on which one's my favorite, depending on the day of the week. But, like, a lot of times I lean a little bit more towards Metal Gear Solid 1. Like, Metal Gear Solid 1, the story just has this weird... mm, Like, they're both very Hollywood-esque, don't get me wrong, but there's just more... I don't know. Like, it's so weird because you could point out different characters from both games that are very... uh, like bombastic like ocelot and metal gear solid 3 is just such an awesome character and like ocelot and mgs one's also awesome and like <laughs> liquid is so awesome in metal gear solid 1 i love his voice actor that british accent yeah i just think like for metal gear solid 1 there's just so many one-liners that stick with me more than in mgs yeah, 3 yeah i agree with you and there's just something that more that game I- is that game is so quotable if you yeah, play it like extremely. 100 times a pop, like both of us did. <laughs> yeah, Metal Gear like, Solid 1 probably, is extremely quotable. We could probably like recite the game, like most of it. I guess maybe I like it a little more because it's so self-contained too. It's so like gritty and like, you know, you're on an island and, you know, I don't know. It just feels so... I know Metal Gear Solid 3, in a way, also feels very self-contained, but, like, Metal Gear Solid 1 feels so self-contained and just such, like, a perfect, like, little capsule of itself. Uh, And it's kind of the same thing that I said about, like, the gameplay mechanics. It's just, like, it feels so well thought out. Like, the story beats and, like, the way you traverse through the game and, like, discover more about Shadow Moses itself and, like, as you discover more of the base and, and all that, it just... You know, and everything's, like, gray, gritty. I don't know. Like, the the feeling I get while playing through the game is a very different feeling that I get than playing through Metal Gear Solid 3. Maybe I'm getting, like, a little more philosophical about it or something weird. But, uh, yeah, for Metal Gear Solid 1, I just it hits a certain part of me that I just enjoy a lot more. Like, I think maybe Solid Snake on his own as a character is just a little more... Um, I'm not going to say relatable because he's not necessarily more relatable than Big Boss. I I think it's just more of like his personality like uh evolving as the game continues on from like the cocky like superstar secret agent that he kind of feels like he yeah. is at the very beginning of the game and then like kind of the way it all f- starts to fall apart as the game comes to its close and like everything he goes through it, like the the facade of like and he kind of even like alludes to it at the beginning of the game with Mei Ling where he's like uh I forget exactly the line but he says like uh what you probably would remember the line better than I do where she's like oh my god I can't believe I'm talking to like the legendary solid snake and he's like I don't know something along the lines of like the man not living up to the legend or something like that yeah I know what you're talking about it's like the opening cutscene yeah and it's like he kind of alludes to it where it's like the character that he you know is made out to be at the beginning of the game really has a lot of flaws as you continue on and like 
I'm not going to say that Big Boss doesn't kind of have some similar moments as you're like going through it, but it's kind of a different story. Uh, Big Boss to me is like a nobody at the beginning of the game, and he kind of has to build up to be somebody by the end. Yeah, where... Snake is like, um, he's sort of a blank slate, but they always talk about, oh, he did this and this. You know, we'd had a couple of run-ins with Metal Gear in the past. You know, they talk about Zanzibar a lot. So he's like somebody who's like been there, done that before. Yeah, and yet he still kind of gets, like I said, and then he still kind of gets his entire character like broken down by the end of the game. And you just like, you see him from the way you see him at the very beginning of the game to the way you see him at the end. It's like two very different people. He feels like the blank slate Hollywood uh, character at the beginning of the game ends up being very human by the end of it. And like he shoulders a lot of of the burden of what happens on the island, like on himself. Um, I don't know. I guess it just resonated more with me slightly. Like you're talking so marginally compared to like Metal Gear Solid three, but yeah, there's just something about like that. And, and the, the bosses all have like, you know, great character building where I don't think like Metal Gear Solid three does as good. Like big boss isolated on his own is great. Solid Snake isolated on his own is great, but then I think what brings the original Metal Gear Solid a little higher up for me is, like, once you start adding in, like, you know, Psycho Mantis telling his story as he's, like, passing, like, Sniper Wolf, uh, Liquid Vulcan Snake, Raven. yeah, Raven. You are not a snake which was created by nature. Yeah, there's just so much character to, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, you know, MG3's probably got the greatest boss battle of all time with the end, but it's, like, when I think about all the other boss battles in that game, they're not as memorable as the entire cast of um, the first Metal Gear Solid game. I just think that like the all-encompassing story, once and like you have Otacon too, who's just a lot better than like the side characters in Metal Gear Solid Three. Like he's better than Sigint and Paramedic and stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just a lot more going on. Meryl's not necessarily better than Eva, but like they're pretty comparable. So it's like you're just going between the games like one to one i just i edge out metal gear solid i know it's a little bit winded but i mean like what's what's your opinion between the two games or not two games i, I guess between all the games in the whole series like do you think this is your favorite I do think story one's bosses like maybe like from a gameplay standpoint they're not as like good as three i'm definitely sitting behind that rock and pounding sniper wolf with nikita missiles and not actually shooting her yeah but a lot of them can be cheesed pretty will, easily but her like dialogue after she gets finished is like way more memorable to me than like the end blowing up, you know what I mean? Like Vulcan Raven, his like dying words, Mantis's dying words, like that's what sticks with me, not necessarily the boss fights themselves. Yeah, I, Whereas I absolutely with three, agree. it's the other way around. Like the boss are like more interesting than the bosses themselves. Yeah, and it's like, and like I said, even like the more colored cast of characters, like the, you know, I find like the Colonel to be a lot more interesting than Zero. Mm -hmm. You know, I you agree. could just, you could just kind of keep going down the it's line. The voice actor, dude. So good. But you could just kind of keep going down the line. Like every Metal Gear Solid game kind of has these like characters that are not, they're not reoccurring characters, but they're like the reoccurring you know, people that are going to be in your codec calls. Like, you have the save file character. You have, you know, the nerd character. You have the the general or whatever. And it's like, to me, when you just go down every cast, I'm like, I'd rather have Otacon than Sigint. I'd rather have, like, Mei Ling than Paramedic. I'd rather have the Colonel than Zero. 
So it's like, not saying that any of those characters are necessarily bad Metal Gear Solid 3. I'm just saying, like, if you're just going to one-on-one compare them, I just much prefer everything about the the original Metal Gear Solid cast than, than 3s by, you know, given it's a small margin, it's enough for me to edge it out, but... I've been talking a lot about three. Do you, like, do you think this is a much better story than you know two or four? Um, a lot of people really like to like that game is probably one of the best aged games of all time. Whereas, like initially, when people initially people were like kind of scratch, scratching their heads when the game initially came out, but like twenty years later, it's like widely regarded as one of the best games ever made. Yeah, I think I might have to go back and play that one again. It's been a long time for me for that one. But a lot of the stuff that they talk about in the game has aged better than when it came out at the time. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of things kind of have rung true as the years have gone on, rather than, like, the day it was released. It seemed a little Mm far-fetched. Yeah, I mean... I think Snake character in 2 elevated a lot in that game as well yeah he got another like, Snake was a great character in 1 but in 2 I think he really shined a lot in that game as well this might be a little off topic really quick but hot take I think Solid Snake is a much better written character than Big Boss I mean yeah I'd agree with you I think his journey throughout Metal Gear Solid I mean, even like the original Metal Gear games, like you could even toss those in there, even though they're like little blips. If you just take in like Metal Gears one and two, and then Metal Gear Solid, and then MGS two, and then MGS four, yeah, that dude has had to go through some shit, and like, yeah, man, he still manages to like kind of have like a heart of gold and like the everything. Recessive, in his... The recessive guy, he manages to pull it off, you know. Yeah, I don't know. There's just I I think really what pulls it over for me is MGS4, but that was just a side tangent. I just wanted to toss that out there. <laughs> um, Solid Snake is the best part of the Metal Gear Solid games. It's not Big Boss. Sorry, Hideo. As much as I think you wanted to push Big Boss later on in the injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um also uh Metal Gear 2. That's also like underrated like great story. Yeah, I think I, I, it's like the problem I have is like it's so I guess like you you could say this is a knock on Metal Gear Solid because Metal Gear Two came out before it, but the story beats are very similar. It's almost like playing the same game in a way. Like it's it's strange. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, they needed. I think it's fine because th- how many people played Metal Gear Two before Metal Gear Solid? Oh, very like in few. In 1998, very I do agree few. that it's so, fine, like, but if you go back and play Metal Gear Two, like. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's just they needed to showcase like that in 3D on like an actual console that isn't like like obscure in Japanese. Like, I think it's fine. Like, I don't. It doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, I get what you mean. But yeah, so I think we said our piece. Metal Gear Solid, the first one. I mean, do you have a? Do you actually have a favorite? Is it MGS One? Would you like pick something else? That's really tough, because one is a fucking great game, two is a fucking great game. Your life's on the line, you gotta say which one. Alright, dude, you're Fuck. being, you're being hung over the pit of death. Okay, I'm, I'm off it myself. <laughs> you're being dropped into the pit anyways. <laughs> Wrong opinion. <laughs> yeah, you know that scene in 300 where they're holding the baby? Yeah, I'm getting tossed over the edge. Goodbye.
Um, Sweet prince. So moving on to another topic, and you know, I thought that this one would be fun because if you think about the other entries in the Metal Gear Solid franchise after two, um, there's a lot of music that's missing. You know what I mean? So in Metal Gear Solid One, uh, there's you know a unique song in almost every single area of the game uh, as you're like going through and like you know sneaking around guards and stuff like that but then like once you get to Metal Gear Solid 3 uh there's almost no music as you're traversing around uh it's all silent well, I think it's so that you like can listen to the jungle, guards and stuff it like wants that to be silent yeah i love the aesthetic but it's just different you know it's just another small difference between the games is like MGS3 is a lot it's supposed to be a lot slower paced so you're more listening for what's around you listening for the animals listening for the guards mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot more well, except for that one scene in the game where Snake's like what happened to the music yes <laughs> yeah you're right um, so yeah I don't know what do you think of the music in Metal Gear Solid 1 uh, overall uh, before maybe we dive into some of the individual songs or like Dude, the music, music in the game is so great man the best is yet to come that one hits home Dude, yeah I do think this I do think the soundtrack is like one of the best video game soundtracks of all time. I feel like it's unbelievably underrated. Like I hear a lot of people bring up like RPG soundtracks and stuff like that. And even like other pla- like platforming game soundtracks or something like they'll bring up like Kurt Stopeland with or Stuart Copeland, Jesus with like Spiral the Dragon or like, you know, like Halo just because of it's like opening theme and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, man, almost every track in Metal Gear Solid is, like, super memorable. Like, you can listen to, like, there's not many games where I listen to a song and I know exactly, like, where I'm at in the game. I listen to, like, yeah. a song from Metal Gear Solid 1 and I know exactly where that's at. I know I've played Hell through the yeah, game man. a lot of times. But, like, it there's, like, something subtle about the way that the tracks are written. Where, like, even if you've only played through the game, like, two times... You like know, especially like the uh, the I, what do they call it? I call it the lava room, the blast furnace, blast furnace. Thank you. I not lava rooms like my dumb brain not being able to remember. Yeah, like the blast furnace even has like you know, like they steam sound. sounds in the background. So, like, even if you like vaguely remember, like that'll like jog your memory to like be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the blast furnace. And, like, every track in the game is like that. It's, like, it's very catered to whatever section of the game that you're in. Um, yeah, to me, it's, like, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Oh, I love <sighs> the thing about, like, the music. It's, like, when you're in the codec calls and stuff, when, like, something dramatic's happening, like, the pacing of it all. Like, when Otacon's, like, face is, like, at the codec screen telling you they're in there with you. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Like, I kind of forgot about that. Like, dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, like when Liquid like reveals himself, like disguises master, like the music like flares up and stuff like that. Like the pacing of all is so good, and that's why Twin Snakes failed because it didn't replicate that. Yeah, you're right. At all. It, it did. It did fail. I mean, like there's a lot of things that to me the Twin Snakes failed at. I guess it's hard to talk about Metal Gear Solid One without talking about Twin Snakes as well. Uh, I did bring it up briefly, but like. Uh, Maybe once we get into the cutscenes a little bit more, we can talk about it. But maybe we should just get out of the way now. The way that they make it more action-y than, like, the original game totally takes me out. 
from like the Dude, original the game's presentation. Scene where he's hopping off the rocket launcher from the high D fight. Oh my like, god! Like I don't know. Like, come on. Like was Hideo really a part of it? Like I don't understand. Is like is that really what he you wanted? The original version of the game to be like to me the original Metal Gear Solid is so grounded and that's what gets me so into it is like yeah it's a video game it's very unrealistic that one man would do all this but like the way it's presented is it's very James Bond like where there's not he's not doing the matrix you know what I mean he's just is one dude that's just extremely good at what he does you know what I'm saying yeah the matrix definitely uh influenced him on uh, Twin Snakes he's like um, the way he did the backflip to pick up his sniper rifle and shoot Sniper Wolf in the face or whatever. That was like, oh my god, I can't believe what I just watched. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think when you think about like even when people are doing videos talking about Metal Gear Solid, more often than not, they're not taking music from MGS2 even. And they're definitely not taking music from like MGS3 or anything like that. It's always the MGS1 tracks that you end up using because they're just so memorable like the alert track is you know probably the best alert track out of all the games and i think that they rehash it even um many times and in almost every entry they kind of end up using that alert in some form or another or it's like a remix but i think the original is probably just the best version um i'm trying to think of like what exactly like my favorite track is in the game just because i've uh I've been trying to that think. That one where Sniper Wolfstein, that one. That one's really good. That's one of my yeah. yeah, that's one of my favorite tracks. I, I was gonna say that one, but I'm like, I'm trying to think of one that's a little more exciting. Uh, to be honest, the reason why I brought up the Boiler Room is because I th- really do think the Boiler Room probably is like my favorite track in the game. I don't know why. It's just like, it's, it's a like theme. it's the perfect sounding. I actually really like the Nuclear War. They could have just like, too. they could have just been like lazy with it and like did the like song from like the tank room or whatever but they like actually went out of the way to like make a themed music in the room and there's only one room in the entire game like that and you only go there twice you one to like go through it and then the other time to like come back and heat up the card yeah it's not a particularly large room <laughs> so the, the yeah, battle I, music's like really good too for a lot of the boss fights the as battle well battle music hell yeah. yeah even though it's kind of similar to just the alert one but like psycho mantis's song is really oh, good yeah, too the hymn. yeah the him yeah 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 um, i mean i don't know what else to say about it if i ever composed like, that soundtrack um you better win a grammy yeah it's just it's to me it's like really underrated i'm like what these i feel like these songs get used a lot you know what i mean in, Hell yeah, it's like uh, that one Diddy Kong Racing song that's like in every YouTube like video. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like it's really. You know what I'm go- talking about? Yes, I do, and it's like, is it <laughs> is it really gonna go uncredited? Like, I don't know. Like I said, like people talk. Like, there's a lot of videos where you'll see like best soundtracks of all time, and it's like I never see the first Metal Gear Solid like in the conversation. I'm like, I never watched a video like that, but it gets snoozed on, dude. I just really felt like I needed to like push it out there because I'm like, come on, guys recognize this is one of the best soundtracks in any video game of ever <laughs> you know like a lot of like oh, platforming the VR, uh, the VR soundtrack remixed all the Metal Gear 2 ones and that's also another banger soundtrack yeah it is yeah I mean like honestly all the Metal Gear Solids have good soundtracks like but to me MGS1 kind of just takes the cake I don't know MGS1 takes the cake for everything for me just by well, a small MGS5 margin MGS5 is literally just like a bunch of 80s songs 
Yeah, it's just a bunch of licensed <laughs> music. I mean, they're great, but like, <laughs> they're good songs, but like, oh my god, it's, it's ironically all, it's where all half licensed. the budget went to. That and Kiefer uh, Sutherland's uh, I was gonna um, say it literally paycheck. ironically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, now that we kind of like, man, I, we did a little more than gloss over, but let's actually like walk through the game a little bit and maybe like get to, uh, you know, like what we liked about certain sections of the game and maybe we can get through this part, you know, a little bit quicker or something like that. Um, one thing I really wanted to bring up that I gloss over, uh, when we were first talking is like the opening sequence of the game. Um, I just absolutely love like Liquid's voice actor. I love like his one-liner before he goes up the elevator where he's like, "Gotta slot go. down a couple of noisy flies." I believe this is bothersome. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I I got that shit memorized. Flies. <laughs> like, and then he just goes up there, and you're like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but that was really sick. And then like, you come in, and I think the reason why there's such a steep learning curve here is that like you don't expect the game to be so sophisticated for a PlayStation One game. Uh, no. Like the, uh, like obviously for today's standards, the guards are really stupid, but they see about ten feet in front of them. For a PlayStation One era game, like it is mind blowing that you can be running through there, and you step on a the water puddle that like you know. Any gamer, just if you've never played a Metal Gear Solid before and you've played like a bunch of video games, like especially on the PlayStation 1, you're like, oh, it's just water textures, like to make the level look cool. That's just usually how the PlayStation 1 works, right? But no, it actually makes a splashing noise as you go over the puddle, like it should, and it will alert a nearby guard if they hear it. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, what the hell? And then you like panic, get caught, you know what I mean? Like, and you can actually, like, being able to use sound to lure guards to certain areas in this opening section by knocking on the crate and stuff like that, it's just all very self-contained and it's a little... I keep saying self-contained, but it is. It's just, like, the perfect opening playground where the game isn't going to let you fluke, get a fluke run to the elevator and get out. It is like, no, you're going to learn the mechanics here. You're going to fail a bunch of times. But, like... Once you're able to survive until the elevator comes down, you've proved yourself and you can continue playing the game. Yeah, you failed that test miserably the first time you played it, huh? A lot. But, like, it makes you... <laughs> it, it prepares you for the actual game. You know what I mean? Like, I hated it at the time. I'm like, man, I just want to get past this opening segment. But, like, really, if you can't get past the opening segment, you're going to struggle you really bad. You probably shouldn't be playing the game. Yeah, you're going to struggle really bad. Or hand the, the controller the to someone else. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, it's just, like, the perfect little, like, learning area uh, for a character. And honestly, like, or not for a character, for, for any, for a player. And honestly, I don't see, like, almost any other Metal Gear Solid game doing what they did in this game. How do you feel about it? Do you think it was, like, a good way to introduce the player, like, a, a good learning curve? Or do you think it's just, like, too steep and it turns people off? Because, like, I'm a little conflicted. I'm like, man, it turned me off. So, like, I'm sure it did that for other people, too. But, like... Oh, uh, you're going to learn today, son. <laughs> but, like, do you think... <laughs> you got to learn today. Do you think it was, like, effective? Do you think it's, like, better to do it that way? Because I kind of came to the conclusion that that was, like, the best way to introduce the player to playing the game. Like, I thought that was an amazing opening segment. But, like, I could see why somebody might feel different. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's never been done before or since. I mean, yeah, like, no other Metal Gear has its learning curve, like, that steep and front-loaded in the game. It's crazy if you think about it. Yeah, you know, like I mean, once you I... pass like a certain point, like the game gets a lot easier because you have a bigger health bar, you have weapons, you kind of know what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a, it's a different approach. Maybe it's not the right approach. I just ended up like liking it. I was like, you know, that's really interesting to like make the player just get actually good in the first like two minutes, so that like the rest of the game seems like a breeze. Like I remember getting out of there, and I'm like, wow, why was that opening segment so hard, but the rest of the game seems so easy? And it's like. The rest of the game isn't really so easy. You just actually learned how to play the freaking game in the first, yeah. like, area. You know what I mean? You didn't need to learn anymore. You got it. The game made you learn it right there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not like the level design, like, it's not like they're doing anything different, you know what I mean? Like, the guards are still the guards, you know? I mean, I guess, like, there's no more footprints they can track, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the sound design part where, like, the... To me, there's, like, it's so amazing that they did do it, but, like, they didn't flesh it out all the way. Like, I can't think of almost any other moment where there's a puddle to step on in the game to alert a guard. That's, like, one of the only moments. So, it's, like, they took a... I think a... maybe the uh, ammo... Armory in like the second floor basement of the tank hangar where you get the PSG one. I think that might be only other place in the game. There might, yeah. I'm having a hard time remembering if there even is a puddle in there, but you, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. There probably is. I mean, like, I'm probably completely wrong about this. Like, I was wrong in Spider Man, but yeah, I don't remember exactly. Like I said, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that they use it one other time, but like, it's just weird to me that they put so much effort into like a one off moment. But, like, it really yeah. does catch you off guard <laughs> the first time playing through the game, and it makes you actually think, like, oh, these aren't, like, stupid guards. Like, they're intelligent, you know? Yeah. Where, you know, it, it makes you, like, respect the game a little bit more than I think you would if it wasn't there. And then, like, also, it is funny that you bring up, like, the footsteps in the snow, because once you go up the elevator, um, that is, like, the only area of the game where there's actually guards to follow your footprints out in the snow. Uh, there's one other spot where there's actually snow to walk on and it's um it's in the sniper wolf battle but there's no guards oh there's two others uh, actually there's the, the tank yeah yep but there's no guards there either so yeah it's just really weird that they just like well yeah. it's kind of hard to put guards there because like the tank area there's only like an open field and it's kind of similar with the sniper wolf dual area oh i agree with you it's just interesting to me that they put so much probably effort into coding the guards have the ability to do this but then they only give them one opportunity to even like utilize it yeah like you'd think that they'd make another area that would could use well i mean most of the game is indoors so yeah it's so it's tough but yeah, yeah. i just thought that was interesting i mean come on dude but the elevator sequence going up is like that gets probably... me pumped for the game every fucking time man it's probably my favorite opening sequence. I know I keep saying MGS one's my favorite, but there's a reason why I said it's my favorite game out of the series for a reason. Like the only thing that's comparable is like once again, like the MGS three opening cutscene where like uh Big Boss jumps out of the plane and like parachutes down. It's pretty sick. Where he like just drops a cigar and like lets it God roll off the damn, plane. We're basically filleting Hideo Kojima at this point. <laughs> 
I, I, I mean, it's my favorite series ever, man. You gotta let me. When we're doing an episode on MGS, I gotta. We gotta. Give I gotta suck credit. off my boy Hideo. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's just like I I love like the opening sequence where he like takes off, you know, like the scuba gear. The mask. And, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's so memorable, and the music that plays here too is like, oh my god, it's so freaking epic, and then. The hind D flies off that you actually get to fight later on. Colonel, what's the Russian gunship doing here? Uh, yeah, I mean, you got the same. I assume you probably have the same feelings about the opening sequence. I think you've hell yeah talked about it. How it's one of your favorites as well. I feel like I've been talking a lot. I'll let you take the next segment. So like we we get past the opening bit and we're like inside the the first tank room. How do you feel? Oh, I finally got inside. Uh, we had that call with Master Miller about how... Oh, uh, just talk to me if you uh, have any questions about the flora and fauna over here. And then you, like, never call him again until he calls you. About, the, like, Naomi being a spy thin. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like I did... I utilized the codec a lot more in my first playthrough than I did later on. Especially when it came to, like, the Miller conversations, because... He actually doesn't yeah. have, like, a whole lot of lines from, you know, like, it felt like he talked a lot more than what he does in reality, like, going back and playing it again. But Well, also, he has, like, nothing useful to say, like, straight up. Yeah, he really doesn't. Like, I that when he says the flora and fauna thing, there was a part of me that was like, you know, I wonder if Hideo wanted to implement, like, an actual system where you could use like the flower like you know flowers and plants and stuff to make like healing uh tonics and, and things like that uh it actually does come to fruition in metal gear solid 3 which is why i kind of came up with this uh idea was that like he thought of it way back in metal gear solid 1 but the technology held him back so then he just couldn't really implement it until mgs3 um, there was a couple of times where you encounter, like, animals, like the rats, and, like, the, when you enter the first level sewer, there's the wolves, there's a few others, but, uh, oh, yeah, the rat that eats the card, uh, I use a stinger missile to blow his ass up. I think You can track does. him, too, when he's in the thin. Yeah, I think it's the easiest way to get past that. I think even speedrunners <laughs> use a missile to get rid of him, to be the honest with you. stinger missile to get rid of a rat? <laughs> Look, man, it's the only thing that lets you go first person and actually target something. If, like, it was easier... It, like, if you could stand up and use a PSG, which I know sounds stupid, this isn't Call of Duty. We have to actually, you know, lay down to use a sniper rifle, otherwise it'll blow our arm off, but... I don't know. I wish you could stand up and use it, because that would make it a lot easier. Uh, I think Claymores are another one that's, like, really easy. If you, like... Oh yeah, you're right. I think I've done that before too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's still a little heavier ourselves. So like, do you think like this opening segment after like Miller like, and up to getting to Decoy Octopus, I always felt like this section was like a little too easy. I don't know. Compared to like the opening bit, like this section well, I mean, is genuinely a lot easier. Like during that part, I like to get all the stuff I can. Well, I know 
Was it the level one or level two card where you can get the suppressor? I don't remember. I think you have to finish the ocelot fight. You're right. So probably a level three card. But also you need to get like the mind detector, the thermal goggles to like see through the lasers and um, pick up all the claymores and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess you it's can, like, like easily miss that stuff. It's a good opening bit to the game, but like I don't know. To me, like compared to the section before you go up the elevator, the challenge like drops pretty drastically. I mean, even like the area out uh, in the snow, like with those guards, that was even more challenging. Like the cameras are a bit are placed a bit more obnoxiously, where it's harder to work around them. Where like there's only like one camera you really have to worry about in the tank room. Yeah. Which is the one next to the elevator. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because you're playing around the cameras in the opening area and, like, or in the snow area, and, like, those cameras are a lot harder to work around than the ones that you have to work around while you're actually in the tank. And the ones in the tank seem more placed there to teach the character about how the cameras operate. But you've already taught me how, you know, in the previous section. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's, like, to me, that's just... It's a little backwards, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, the only other, like, roadblock I've really encountered, like, on my first playthrough of the game, was the... nuclear warhead building, because they take away your weapons. Yeah, that's like, a lot. Oh, shit, how do I kill the guards now? Yeah, that's quite a bit for the and, game, um, too. Of course, you soon learn that once you have a box, it becomes a lot easier, but... Um... Yeah, then you come back with the PSG one and let's cheese all the guards and the cameras and stuff. Yeah, I love that. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. I'm shooting at the nukes too. All the plutonium that's getting leaked. No. Yeah, nothing happens. Fuck you, Naomi. That was like always hilarious to me. I do wonder if she did it intentionally though, because she is kind of like evil, it turns out in the game, so I don't know. Um that was always like I think the Redcon or something where it's like, oh, if it's really gonna leak plutonium and everything's gonna blow up, like, how come I can do this? And like I think people were like, Well, Naomi's technically a bad guy, so she probably lied. Cause she lies a lot, and I'm like, I guess I can kinda get behind that, but I just think it's an oversight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um You, you can try to write it in as much as you want, game. but Yeah, yeah, but it's like few and far between, and it's like not that big of a deal. I love like um, uh, when you first meet Ocelot and like the you first see Gray Fox. That whole cutscene's like one of the best in the game, if you ask me. That's a banger, man! He's like six bullets more than enough to kill anything that moves. And then his arm like gets sliced. Dude, the way he says the way the English actor is like, ah, oh, my hand, and he's like just ah, <laughs> oh, my hand. <laughs> like it's so animated it's just like you couldn't write you couldn't do it any better it's just so it's kind of hammed up almost but it's like but i kind of like it i don't know how to explain i mean ocelot is like that in every game where he's like so he's so hammy. Uh, drugs he's so yeah. ham he's so hammy but like he, yeah he still has such like a menacing stage presence if that makes sense like like, I can't have a... Like, there's no character that I've ever, like, laughed at more, but s still been, like, afraid of when they're on screen than, than Ocelot. Ocelot. Actually, you know how I said Solid Snake was the best character? It's actually Ocelot. I changed. 
I didn't really change. That's always been my opinion, but like, I guess I was more comparing Solid Snake to Big Boss, but like, Ocelot is literally the driving force that makes the Metal Gear Solid games good. I mean, Liquid in the first game, you could argue, also was a driving force, but like, after that, it's all, it's all Ocelot. God dang, dude, he, yeah, he's been in like all the games too, so, what game has he not been in? The first two Metal Gears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I think that's really it, though. Otherwise, he's in every single other game. I can't really think of any others that he's not in. But yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a spaghetti western, right? Where it's like so cheesy that it's like good. I don't know. They're like a Cowboy Bebop kind of character where like they can be so serious when they want to be, but then they're like really goofy. Like any other time they're on screen, it's just like... It's just absolute gold every time Ocelot's, like, showing up in a scene. Yeah, and then after, you know, after all that, and you get, like, the key card, and what's-his-face blows up, then you do, like, the tank fight. I really like um, the scene with uh, with the lasers, uh, just because, like, the easy way to get through is just to grab the thermal goggles, which is what you should do, but I really you like... You can get through without it. You can see it, yeah. Yeah, I really like that you can, like, pull out the a cigarette and, like, sacrifice your also own health to get through. Or you can just go full man mode, not even use it, and just, like, look at it, because you can see it. Very slightly, yeah. Yeah. Which is what I did, like, after my upteenth freaking playthrough of the game. Like, you just get used to it, but... um, Yeah, I don't know, I just love, the, like, the cigarette touch. Like, it, it, it really, like, highlights how... Cigarettes? How are those going to help you? You never know. It just really highlights how, like, they think of, like, so many different ways to, like, utilize um, your items and, like, the area around you in the game and stuff like that. Like, there's so many, like, little Easter eggs like that. And I think yeah. that's, like, really the first instance in that game where there's, like, a little... I don't, it's not an Easter egg necessarily, I guess, but, like, you know, it's unconventional. It's an unconventional way of getting through the area, and it's, like, really creative and fun to me. Um, to have that in the game, but I think that's like the first time they really do it in the first Metal Gear Solid game. There's a couple other times later on as we get further in, but then you have the nuclear weapons storage facility. I guess I don't know. Is there anything of note other than like when you actually meet Otacon in this area? Uh, Gray Fox. There's like the electric Colonel. room too. That ninja is Gray Fox. I'm kind of no doubt over. about it. I'm kind of glazing over the boss battles just because I, I want to have a deeper conversation about, like, the bosses. So I'm kind of going through, like, the the rooms of the game more than, like, you know, and, and story events rather than, like, the bosses, if that makes sense. But I guess there's, like, the electric room. I always kind of found this room a little annoying, like, guiding the Nikita to uh, hit that switch The way to do it is to not use first person. What do you mean? It has to be third. No, if you hold triangle, it goes into first. Does it really? Yeah, did you not know that? I- I'm pretty sure I've always done it in third person every time. Jesus Christ, that is a <laughs> ghetto-ass way to do it. Yeah, no joke. Well, you just uh, gave me a life hack, I guess. I guess I've been man-moding <laughs> it my- the whole time. Come on. Wait, do you do the sniper wolf fight legit, or do you use the Nikita? Oh, I use the Nikita, but I don't do that in first person either. 
Oh my god. I can like vaguely see I can vaguely see what tree she's behind. Well, I'm not in first person. I kind of guess on where she is. Like I I guess I've just played this game too many times. She has like a pattern that you'll get used to. Like she always will start like in the same spot when you do that boss fight. And then, like, you just kind of get into a rhythm where, like, you hit her the first time, second time, and then she'll, like, move. And it's usually, like, one of two spots. And then, like, you just check them and then find her. But, you know. Do you know I what item I never found in this game in my last playthrough was the body armor? Because I always put it on before I get shot by Sniper Wolf. And I never found it before I got to her. I didn't even know that you could get body. Oh, my gosh. See, that this is why the game is so deep is, like, there's things I still haven't, like, done. <laughs> yeah, I like never like found the body armor throughout the entire game. I'm like, wait. So wait, where where do where you get it? it? Do you remember? Uh maybe I've gotten it, it around. It sounds familiar, but Um, they move it around if you don't get it the first time. Like it if you advance to the game, so I don't remember where you get it. I don't really feel like I ever used it. I always just had rations equipped. The only that's the only time I use the body armor is when I'm about to get shot by Snap Roll. I'm pretty sure it doesn't even do anything because you don't get health removed. <laughs> oh my god. What a freaking meme of a game. Yeah, I don't even remember. Gosh, man. I, I'm actually having a hard time remembering the body armor existing, but I know it does exist. You're right. Never use it. Just probably. I I probably collected it once and I was like, um, it's useless. And I just moved on and never, never use it. Um, but wow, yeah, you opened up my eyes, dude. Honestly, uh, next time I play through it, it's probably gonna be ten times easier now. I mean, not ten times, but like, <laughs> dude, doing it the ghetto way is like really hard. Actually, I failed so many times. <laughs> I failed so many times at like destroying the box. Yeah, like, like if you hold triangle, you can show like how much fuel you have left before it blows up. Unbelievable. It has like a meter and everything. That's terrible. Uh, all right. Well, now I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the first time you meet Otacon though when he like pisses his pants in the uh, in the locker it like cracks me up uh, in Metal Gear Solid 4 when you go back to Shadow Moses and he's like bring back any memories and he's like obviously <laughs> referring to pissing his pants <laughs> dude in MGS2 they like alert to it too where he's like in the locker he's like oh now you're in the locker this time he's like not unless I pee my pants he was like, that's a low blow. It's so great. Oh, my God. It's Otacon's so great. Otacon is, like, my favorite character in this game. Like, uh, this I think I've like said that before. Favorite character. Well, I'm just talking about, like, for the overall series, it's Ocelot. For main characters, it's Solid Snake. For this individual game, it's Otacon. That's kind of crazy. Um... <laughs> I know. I've I've really thought deep about this. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've dug deep and I'm like, yep, that's my favorite character. That's my favorite character. Like, <laughs> depending on the game, dude, it changes. But um, you know what's psycho about me? I never, I always save Meryl. I never kill her. Dude, I don't think I've really ever played through the game without saving her. Like, there's just some innate thing in me that's like, I can't just fail. Dude, we this. have to do it every time. I save her every time. Like I, I kind of wanted. That circle button. I think there was one time I didn't do it because I really wanted a save file that had both the bandana and the uh, invisible suit. Yeah. Um, just because they 
both of them carry over and if you have one you can also get the next one and then you can have two of them carrying over on every playthrough so i think i did do it one time but honestly i i hardly remember and i don't even know if i went through with it <laughs> to be honest with you i don't know if i did also you get like oh, a yeah, special I never did it. Too. i'm never doing it i'm always saving meryl <laughs> yeah i guess after all that is that when you that's when you go in the elevator though isn't it uh, and then, like, Akon gets really close up to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's, like, the Mantis fight, the walls. Like, you get shot by Sniper Wolf, or, I mean, Meryl does. Oh, all that happens before. Yeah, you're right. I think the all that does happen room. before. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, that's one of my favorite parts of the game is uh, when you're in the elevator and then Otacon, like, gets all close up into the camera. It's because, like, you don't expect. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? He never does that again, or before. I know, it's so weird. It's like a single It's clip. like a one coda call the entire series where that happens. I'm like, wait. Why? why? It's almost comic in a way. Um, yeah, I guess to backtrack then, because it sounds like I jumped ahead. Uh, I really hated crawling through the section with the wolves to get to Meryl. It was, like, super obnoxious. Uh, I mean, you have to, like, put on, like, a night vision or thermal goggles, because... No, it's fine. I, I mean, I can see or fine. You do what Master Miller said and see into the dark from a light spot. I remember that code of call. I'm like, you know I'm what's funny is it actually does kind of work. Like, it's not. It does help, but yeah, it's stupid and I want to get through it quickly. And it's kind of like Meryl how in, get through this. It's kind of like how an MGS. Literally, how did Meryl get through this? <laughs> it's like how an MGS, your eyes can get used to the dark uh, once you fall into the cave after the Ocelot fight. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. very much in the same vein, but um, that's just another like thing where that's like another reason why I really love all the MGS games is like who would think of implementing Dude, that kind of mechanic into the game? It's like it's in just the cave another layer. In MGS one, like there's a hole where you can see like the end, but you can't go through it. You can see like Meryl from there. Is that how she like got through it? But why can't you go through it? I think I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, there is a hole. Yeah. I'm like, hey, maybe I could blow this up with C4. It doesn't work. Oh, I guess I just have to go through the wolves then. Yeah, it's then weird. Punch Meryl, hide in the box, and then have the wolves piss on me so they don't attack me next time. Yeah, so that was another really fun thing, too. Uh, that's like, this one's like, I think, a genuine Easter egg where unless you know, you would never try to do this more than likely. And like, if you did figure it out on your own, that'd be like really fun. But. Yeah, just like you said, if you punch Meryl and then jump into a box, the box. Uh, her little, you know, puppy will pee on the, pee box, on the box, and then the dogs uh, will all have little heart symbols above them as you go through the next time, and they won't be able to attack you. Uh, like like I said, another reason why I love the Metal Gear Solid games is just like the it's small touches like that. It's only useful one part of the game, which is when you're coming back to the boss fight as... For Sniper Wolf. Extremely useful if you ask me. <laughs> the dogs are so annoying <laughs> without it the first time through. Get the handkerchief and you can just go through it like that, but yeah. Yeah, once you do you actually end up getting it, but Yeah, then uh then you have the whole torture sequence. Kinda went into that I a never, little bit. I never press but... select, I'll never press select. Um, Ocelot's one liners. Did you ever use auto fire before? No. Oh, they catch you, though, don't you? Don't they? I never got, like, 
I never used it, but like, is that a thing where they can like kill you instantly if you're using it? I think so. I don't remember how it works because I remember Ocelot breaking the fourth wall and specifically being like, "Don't even think about using auto fire." I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, how though? You know, I think that's just so funny. Um. Yeah, I, I guess I would be curious to see. I I probably watched the cutscene once just so I could like see it, but like I don't even know exactly what happens. Um. Yeah, his one-liners are like amazing in this scene. I freaking love like uh everything he says during like the cutscene before he tortures you. Can you take what? one more? Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, man. And then, like, uh, this is your first time you ever get to see Johnny, who's, like, a reoccurring character. Um, after oh, I kill Johnny scene. every time. Do you really? Like, when you have to escape, I literally choke him out every time. Hey, man, that's bitch. not canon. He lives. Oh, <laughs> uh, he dies in my playthrough. My head cannon, he dies. He ain't taking a shit. Oh, yeah, no, wait, so he he's... is taking a shit. Just not in the toilet. And he's a bit of a comedic relief, just like you said. He's got, like, diarrhea the whole time, and he's got, like, a cold. And, like, you can kind of pull pranks on him, too. I, I don't remember, like, everything that you can do to him in the cell, but, like, if you knock around uh, a whole bunch, he gets knocking. really annoyed. Shut up, will ya? I think you can do something else to him, too, but, uh, yeah. I don't even remember. I, I feel like I remember the first time playing through this section of the game. I didn't know how to use the ketchup bottle and I'm pretty sure after a while the game just has mercy on your ass and they're and like Otacon just shows or I think it's Gray Fox he shows up invisible and just fucking unlocks the door <laughs> if, if you I, I actually how many times do you have to do it like you have to do four torture sequences or something before figuring out how to get out and then like Gray Fox Gray just shows Fox up and finally just like yeah he just like three. is it just three yeah, yeah, you can get out like on the second after the second one, but if you don't figure it out, but then then you have to go through a third one, and then Gray Fox will rescue you. Well, there you go. But yeah, so it's like I kind of like there's two ways to get out of this area, but like obviously the ketchup, the, the ketchup one's yeah. a lot a lot better. But um, so yeah, I think you it's really out what I had in mind. I can't believe it actually worked. If you call Otacon immediately after. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to catch up dude um yeah this is the part where we tried to run, run through the game without actually picking up our items but the game won't let you because there's like a level 8 door that you can't run through which is really a bummer and I actually think I game sharked the game too just to see if you could like run out the door without your card and then like I was really trying to get to a spot where you could like do the next boss fight um and like earn the card so that then you could just kind of like recollect your stuff and have no shirt but uh you can't leave the area for one and two i'm pretty sure the character uh when you have no clothes on is specifically coded not to be able to like have any items or something like that outside of like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. outside of the ration and like the ketchup bottle and stuff so even if you do tr manage to try to collect like a different item it just won't work it's kind of crazy i didn't know that yeah, I really, I really tried. I wanted to get through the game like without a shirt on. I don't know why. I just, I wanted to try it, and the game literally just, there's no loophole. It won't let you. <laughs> they coded it well. I'm sure that something is like game breaking about it because like all the cutscenes are done, uh, with the actual models. So like, 
Yeah. No I'm sure pre-render that... at all. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure, outside of like some of the FMV cutscenes, but um, so I'm sure that there's something about it where if like you tried to have the character without the shirt on like show up in a cutscene, it would like break the game or something. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, man, it seems like there's a lot of fail safes for something that like on the surface seems just like a fun little thing to try to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. You know that one cutscene when Snake encounters Meryl for the first time? Yeah. I... If you don't have the gun, he'll hold the gun. If oh, you yep, have that too. a gun, he'll point at her with the gun. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's like they thought of just about everything. That was another thing, too, is like trying to get through the game without using any weapons, but they force you to pick up the uh, FMAS there. No, the SOCOM. Hmm. I thought they make you pick up a fully automatic. Maybe you're right about the SOCOM. Regardless, they make you pick up a gun at that point in the game, no matter what. Yeah. Um, like, try not to collect it. <laughs> yeah, you can try your best. It is weird. Like, there were so many ways we tried to, like, break the game and, like, just be like, what if we never... Did what this. if we... Yeah, like, what if we never picked up a weapon? What if we, like, never used a ration? We don't need it. It's cure on site. Yeah, like, what if we got through the game without a shirt on? Uh, a lot of the times there's fail safe, so you can't do it, which really is a little bit of a bummer, but... Um... Yeah, I guess after all that, what there's like the hind D fight. I I hate running up the stairs in this particular scene to get up to the hind D fight. Um, it's probably one of my least favorite sequences in the game. It's like the only sequence. If you hold, I mean, you can run up using the stun grenades if you time it right, but you can also hold um X while firing, and you can move while firing. Oh, like I I know that, but like you just kind of run out of ammo and. I guess yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. like kind of how I was talking about how doing a no lethal run in this game is difficult. This part of the Do game makes guys it. not count? No, they count. Oh, yeah. Um, I believe the guys in the elevator don't because you have to take you them out. You have to kill them. Yeah, yeah there's like I don't... four more on the elevator on the way to Vulcan. That, those don't count either. Yeah, I think those are the only instances where they don't count they because don't count. you like have to. Otherwise, well, what about the guys like when you're fighting with Meryl uh I believe you can get through that without killing any of them I think Meryl will kill all of them for you outside of like yeah I, I think you can actually get through that without killing any of them or no maybe you can't because Meryl won't shoot at first there's something weird about it doing a no lethal run in this game is like really tricky because there's a lot of weird nuances with well like you said the Meryl part and like the, some of the elevator scenes and stuff but yeah, so yeah, that yeah, yeah. this part in particular is like really annoying when you're doing the no lethal run because the they do count and like if you don't have the infinite ammo bandana, which is kind of like cheating uh, to me, but like it is the easiest way to get through. You better have a good stockpile of stun grenades and you better like know the timings to release yeah, them yeah, yeah. because otherwise you're gonna get your shit rocked. I, and, like, even when you do have the infinite ammo bandana, I just end up, like, spamming the stun grenade and just running up, and it takes forever. Uh, like, compared to, you know, the ladder climbing scene and MGS3, this is a far cry. <laughs> it's probably the worst, like, little segment of the game. I mean, it's not, like, too egregious to the point where I would really knock this game for it. What's but... wrong, Snake? All that dog bushing bring you down? It's the most redeeming thing <laughs> in this whole segment. <laughs> 
did you kind of feel the same way? Like, is it just, it's kind of annoying, isn't it? Um, yeah, that door you're supposed to go through, but it's frozen from the outside. God damn it. And then you can go back in with the C4. Yep. <laughs> Classic. You know those, um, like, guys that are on the other end of that bridge? Mm-hmm. That, like, it's After the, the weirdest guards. Yeah. No, it's before. Oh, yeah. Nope, yep, I do know what you're talking about. Those guards don't lack, like, any other guards in the entire game. Yeah, they are very strange. Yeah, I they... literally just, like, hit at them with a Nikita. Yeah, I do bag. the same thing, too. I don't know why they're like coded. Oh yeah, try doing no lethal with those fucking assholes sitting there. You just run. I don't know. It's like weird. There's like the no lethal run. You basically just need to know. Stun grenades, best friend. Uh, chaff grenades, best friend. And you better know the ration placements. <laughs> there's yeah, a lot of yeah. there's a lot of rations in the game. Uh, just in like little secret spots in like every room and stuff. And like if you know. Uh, it's no harm, no foul for the most part, but yeah. Otherwise, like there's stuff like that. Like, like I said, this is one of the most annoying, like no, non-lethal runs to me compared to the others. Yeah, it's because you don't have the trank darts. Yeah, you, so you kind of are forced to like come up with weird ways to get around like certain sections of the game where it's like clearly not intentional for you to like get through that part <laughs> in that kind of way. But like, if like you know, you get. I don't think you get anything for doing no lethal. It just gives you a different grade at the end, but you know it's a fun yeah. challenge to, for yourself. What's um, the top grade? The fox one. Yeah, I don't know if you need to do no lethal to get fox. I think there's other factors, but I think it, there's it's like accurate. It's like your accuracy with ammo and like the amount you use, the amount of rations used, hits taken. Like there's a lot of like stupid small stuff that go into it. But, yeah, anyway, so, once you're done with, like, uh, that section and you get through the hind D fight, I think you just kind of basically do the Sniper Wolf fight right away, right? There's, like, the elevator sequence and then, like, Sniper Wolf almost immediately after. Yeah. Um. And then, like, after the Sniper Wolf fight, you go to the lava room. And then, like, this is kind of the part of the game, once you get to disc 2, where people knock the game a little bit. Um, disc 2... I'm sensing the amount of ground covered is a lot smaller than uh, disc one. I think a big part of that is just how many cutscenes that there are in this back half. It probably eats up almost all the disc space. And then on top of that, they still decided to include um, the entire base of Shadow Moses. Uh, one thing I didn't know about the game playing through the first couple times, um, that's actually a reoccurring thing in every game. And for some reason I thought it was missing from Elgar Solid 1, but it's really not. Um, is the transport trucks. So there's like different labeled boxes. There's like A, B, and C. And there's different trucks uh, scattered throughout Shadow Moses. And um, like if you put on box A, it'll bring you right back to the beginning of the game if you jump into like the truck uh, that's in the Sniper Wolf fight. Um, yeah. It'll transport you all the way back to the beginning. And they do that in like MGS3 and it's really useful. And I think there's a mechanic in MGS2, but I don't think it uses trucks uh, that accomplishes the same thing. I, I could be wrong. I don't I haven't yeah, played that game as not, much, but... 
particularly useful because by uh, the time you get all the boxes, you're already underground and you don't go back out. Yeah, the only like reasoning never... for ever doing it in MGS1 is if you're, like, desperate for PSG1 ammo, which I believe... Stinger ammo as well. Yeah, I believe, like, the easiest place to get it is the second floor at the beginning of the game. Uh, there's a good stockpile of it. Uh, but, you know, if you've been playing the game well enough and you've been a little conservative, you really won't have a problem, and there's actually quite a bit of ammo for those weapons laying around the sniper wolf fight anyways so like you know there are no whole lot of reasons to go back uh to any portions of metal gear solid one but i just thought i'd like point that out because it's a mechanic i never really used um but yeah so i i do believe that that's why like this second part the second disc is uses so much less uh you know of an area of shadow moses than disc one does is like you have the entirety of disc one and a lot of cutscenes basically jammed into like the second disc. So Yeah. 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 Well, go ahead. You never go back out from like before the blast furnace, like once you get to there. Like you don't need to go back out. Not like I said, unless you need to collect something, like you're really desperate for rations. Like I think I did one time because I was having a really terrible playthrough of it where I was just like eating through my rations and you know, if you know where the rations are at other points in the game, they respawn. So you can just, like, hop on the truck, go back to the beginning of the game, and get, like, the easy rations that are, at, you know, th at the opening sequence. But yeah, that was, like, literally the only time I think I've ever done it. And it was only, like, on one of my playthroughs. But, um, yeah, so this is where the game gets a lot of its gripes. Uh, do you like this back half of the game or do you think the game starts to fall off a little bit on disc two i don't think so at all i mean like the story really carries it here yeah i mean i'm inclined like, to agree i i never i mean like you, had a problem with this back half like the game tells you like so much like you're getting a lot of information and stuff like i don't really mind like sitting through a codec call like while you're waiting on an elevator about like naomi and stuff like that yeah i mean the like, elevators are definitely like place there intentionally for the codec call moments to finish telling the story of the game and like you can maybe make an argument that's a little bit of a clunky way to to tell the story where it's like the story is so backloaded on this second disc but i guess i never really had a problem with it personally um I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, like, the Vulcan boss fight in Disc 2. Uh, I mean, I really, really, I think... For the the key big card thing, though. Yeah, right. I think that's, like, the big thing that people always bring up is, like, uh, running the key card around. But I think what people... That's, I mean, it's just, like, what I said. Like, I think what people glaze over is, like, yeah, it's kind of obnoxious having to go back into, like, the Blast Furnace to make it a red card so that you can, like, put it in that slot and then, like, run back... And go into the, you know, ice room so that you can uh, put in the blue card. And, like, it is a little annoying, but you got to take into account how much of, the, like, the story is being told while you're doing this part of the mission. Yeah, I think yeah, the yeah. only reason it exists is literally just to continue to tell the story to you. I think yeah, the design choice wouldn't have been made if uh, if they didn't have to do it like that. I think it's more of a limitation of, like, the PlayStation 1 and the fact that they were running out of disk space and 
time, quite frankly. So I think that, that was just like the, you know, it, it's not, it definitely is like one of the poorer parts of the game for sure. But, uh, I never, it never bugged me just because of the story. You know, I like, I liked listening to the cutscenes and listening to the story, even if they were really long, like, I guess I prefer to having longer cutscenes. I don't know. I mean, that stuff about Naomi, like, I really liked it a lot. Like, when Naomi, like, called you while they're behind their back and, like, gave her backstory and stuff like that. It's one of my favorite cutscenes in the game. Yeah, same here, actually. Like, the, the whole, the way everything culminates at the end is, like, one of my favorite things. Um, it's just, like, yeah, I guess, like, that segment is like just not that great if you're just skipping the cutscenes. But if you're playing the game normally, I don't think you'd ever really notice. Um, yeah. And then you kind of get to the end of the game, so that's like a brief walkthrough of like those areas and stuff. Trying to move on a little bit, so because we got quite a little bit more to talk about. Let's like actually talk about, uh, like our favorite parts of the games. Uh, just to kind of like close out a little bit we'll talk about like the boss battles and stuff like that too so um, for you like what is your favorite or like most memorable part of like the entire game like cutscene I mean, section to play through boss battle give me anything I mean I mentioned the Naomi cutscene before but the one where uh, Master reveals himself to be Liquid that's another one that I like a lot Oh, that cutscene's... Uh, it's so long, but I, I do love that cutscene. Did you like my sunglasses? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the one where, like, the Jim Houseman guy comes. Yeah, and fucking... He's about to drop a bomb on your ass. That's another one I liked a lot. Um... Yeah, the Gray Fox stuff, like, when you're fighting Rex, was, like, deep as fuck. Yeah, I guess we have gloss over Gray Fox a little bit. Um, pretty well written character. I do, I do like Gray Fox's addition to the story. Yeah, he's like one of those. He's like one of the few characters besides Snake and Campbell that carried over from the Eight Bit games too. So, yeah. So for like returning people, if they did manage to play the original two, it actually holds a little more weight on top of that. Yeah. You of all people should have known he died in Zanzibar. Yeah, and I mean, and his whole story is, like, really sad. I, I don't think I'd care as much if Naomi didn't, like, go over the whole backstory, which yeah. kind of paints, like, a really terrible light on what he had to go through and stuff like that. So you really feel for the character by the it's end of the, the game. one of the sickest things I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, we never talked about our personal lives. Sort of an unwritten rule. That's why I hate poops, because it retconned all that shit. I know. Yeah, terrible. I don't even want to talk about what poops did to my boy Gray Fox, honestly. Unbelievable. Um, For me, I guess, like, man, my favorite part, I actually really like the, uh, like, the, I know, like, Sniper Wolf's dying, but that whole scene is, like, one of my favorite scenes in the game. Um, Yeah, yeah, It's, like, a character I really wouldn't care for like 90% of the time ends up really um, making me care during like the end sequence. And like, I guess Otacon kind of like, okay, so let's like jump to MGS4, just like make a comparison here. Like the way that Otacon like falls in love with Naomi and MGS4 
is also very sudden, kind of like it is in MGS1. But yeah. I'm able to suspend my disbelief of it in Metal Gear Solid 1 a little bit because you got to take into account that they've been working on this base for quite a while before uh, Snake ever arrived there. So you got to yeah. think that they've had a relationship even before um, any of this kind of stuff like went down. And they continue to have a relationship as you're like going through the story where like Naomi and Anakon in MGS4 is like really random and forced. And it's like, what the hell? You guys like never even talked before this. This is stupid. Uh, but like I actually end up really caring about like Anakon's relationship with Cyberwolf by the end of it. And then the whole scene is like just really well done for me yeah like one of the best parts of the game and the song what are we fighting like, for if we get through this i'll tell you never tells him although like <laughs> i think <laughs> i do think that uh he does kind of tell him right i i don't remember exactly i think he like otacon has like a if you save otacon and he's the one riding on the snowmobile at the end i think he says something about it and i do believe in mgs2 he also like and it, it's implied that he said something to him as well and that's why they like do what they do as a team or something um yeah i was like wait maybe the bad ending's a good one yeah exactly that infinite bandana but um yeah so regardless uh yeah i i think that's probably like my favorite like individual part of the game uh in terms of like the cutscenes and stuff uh in terms of like running through the game uh, I'm trying to think of like my favorite room to like sneak through. I really like the Psychomantis uh like room Commander before you zone. actually. Yeah. Uh I just kinda like being able to like choke out the guard while he's taking a piss in the bathroom. Like I don't know, it just seems like more of a real area compared to some of the rest of the game. Like more a more realistic area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and it's pretty challenging to get through the first time too. So do you have like a favorite room like to run through in the game? That's really hard, actually. Yeah, I know. I just kind of tossed one out there that, like, came to my head when I thought about, like, my favorite. And I, like, I don't know. I just really like that one. I probably spent, like, a lot of time just screwing around with the guards in that room, so that's why I brought it up. Uh, it's really hard to pick one. I feel like the whole game is just, like, built solidly. Like, I don't really think one stands out from the other. Yeah, very like, maybe much Maybe aesthetically so. they do, but, like, in terms of just, like, raw level design, like, I don't know. You have a favorite boss battle? Favorite boss battle? Uh, the second sniper wolf one because you can just fucking sit behind the rock and chase the shit out of her. I'm not gonna lie, like doing it legit the first time was really exciting though. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing compared to the fight with the end, but like, yeah, it actually like did a pretty good job for the PS1 era at making me feel like I was doing a sniper fight in a blizzard. Like the game, the Gray hype. Fox one was actually a pretty good fight. Oh, we can fight hand to hand. It is the basis of all combat. Well, since you didn't say Only it, I'll. Only a fool would trust this life to a weapon. <laughs> since you didn't say it, I'll do the cop out answer. I'll say Psycho Mantis just because it's obligatory at this point. <laughs> I mean, to be um, honest. Definitely not the Ocelot one because President Baker is. Oh, God. Is, uh... I hate the Ocelot fight, dude. I guess we can run through all the boss fights because I was kind of holding off on that. Uh, Ocelot fight, kind of annoying. Baker's in the way. Kind of don't like that he's always off screen when you're trying to shoot him. Uh, and well, the real yeah. 
the only real opportunity to get him is when he's like reloading. Uh, otherwise, it's like sit and wait for him to run out of ammo, wait for him to reload, and then pot shot him. That's like kind of how the whole fight goes. I straight up ran out of ammo once doing it, and I'm like, uh oh, what do I do? I have to punch him out. Yeah, it's like much better to play conservatively in this fight and just like wait for him to run out of ammo rather than just like constantly sit and try to actually shoot him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like just not that fun of a mechanic. It's like basically red light, green light kind of gameplay where it's like, oh, he's off screen and he's like got ammo. I'll never be able to hit him. And then, oh, he's reloading. So he's standing in place. Pot shots. Repeat. Assad himself, amazing. Love the dialogue here. The fight itself, pretty bad. Um, I feel like the tank fight gets glossed over quite a bit the first time you meet Vulcan. Uh, did you particularly like this boss battle? Um, It is what it is. You just use a chaff and then you use the grenades. I don't know why, but whenever I... When I saw, like, plays, it was, like, years ago. Um, They tried using, like, claymores. And oh. I don't know if that actually works. And, like getting the treads off because huh. i've never seen it before i guess i've never tried doing that i mean honestly to me it's just easier just to throw a chaff and toss in some grenades into the to the hatch i don't know you know yeah. what i mean i never had a hard time with the boss battle using chaffs and it's actually pretty quick i, I would find it hard to believe that using claymores would be faster or easier for that matter i don't know it's pretty unremarkable like if you don't I mean, know yeah, i mean like it kind of hints towards it because there's claymores right before and you collect them all and it's like, oh, maybe we have to use them. Right. Yeah, but it's like, but I've I never don't know. seen like, I've never seen like the tank like actually like ha not be able to move anymore because you use the claymore on it. Like, I don't think that's a thing that works. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, there's speedrunners that would know more than me. So maybe that's, I don't know. It's weird. Or the guy didn't know what he was doing. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you don't know, like, the chaff trick... I mean, chaff grenades You're are probably the most... The, tank. the chaff grenades are probably the most OP grenade in the freaking game. There's, like, so many things that it disables and so many of, like, the different, like, boss fights. Um, But, yeah. Uh, doing it legit... I think I did it legit the very first time playing the game, and it was kind of a pain, and it was super annoying, and I didn't like it, but then... Once I figured out the chat, it, like, it, it went from, like, annoying and, like, super difficult to beat to, like, the easiest boss battle in the game, damn near. Actually, it might actually be straight up the easiest boss battle in the game, it, just because of that trick. Yeah, um, I don't remember having any difficulty with the tank at all. No, it's, it's really forgettable. I think that's why people usually don't bring it up very often. Uh, yeah. what's the very next battle after this? Is it, uh, is it Gray Fox? Yeah. Uh, actually, that w I do, I agree with you with this one. It's, uh, it's a pretty good fight. I guess, uh, you're a little higher on it than I am, but. For what it is, it's, like, functionally good. Fox, it's Mantis, right? I, yeah, I'm almost positive. That it's Mantis right after this. Kind of like how it uses like the things in the room to attack you. Yeah, I mean the whole like, boss fight's like, very creative. Itself. Everybody remembers yeah. it. Everybody loves the boss fight. To be honest, once you do like the once you, like you know what to do to beat him, 
and like the really cool like you know memory card reading and the screen glitching and like all the levitating stuff like kind of isn't cool anymore the boss battle isn't all that interesting which is usually why I don't say it's my favorite boss battle I actually usually say that my favorite's Metal Gear Rex just cause it's actually like got the most challenge in the whole game or uh the Vulcan fight Rex that... is one of those I can't fucking do ever it just I... pisses me off or, or I, I see patterns at all or I see the Vulcan fight because that dude, it's like actually a really terrifying fight. Like that dude's like scary as shit <laughs> in that dude, boss he has battle. A freaking, uh, he has a freaking gun that's like used on jet fighters. Like what the fuck? He's hauling it around. Yeah. And like, he's so like invincible fun. and his like machine gun just like totally shreds your health. So he's like actually a super terrifying fight to go through. I use the stingers. How do you use it? I place claymores down. Oh. Yeah, I like place claymores down, and then you can kind of manipulate where he like walks, and you can just like make him walk into claymores and stuff. Might be a little longer than using the stinger, but or Nick, I think I use claymores and I use like Nikita missiles too. I think I do both. So it's like a double whammy. I like lead him towards claymores while he's like on his path towards me. I'm like hitting him with Nikitas, and then like he'll get hit by a claymore and. You know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I cheese him basically, but playing it through it the first time the legit way is like scary as shit. Um, yeah. but anyway, so Psycho Manus fight, I'm not gonna say it's overrated because it's a pretty awesome boss fight, and like the whole, like the way it's done, like nobody's ever done a boss battle like that or anything like that in a video game before, just really fucking with the player's head. And it's like absolutely the most memorable part of the game and the most memorable boss fight. Um, at that but after you play through the game like 15 times like I have it's really not as special anymore uh, the boss battle isolated without any of the, like the cool trickery is really easy and kind of basic it's like almost the equivalent of like the ocelot fight to me uh, if you go prone you can kind of like go under the stuff he's throwing at you that as well yeah which makes it even easier yeah, um, yeah. After him is the first Sniper Wolf fight. Nothing spectacular with that one, honestly. It's uh, not as good as the second fight. <laughs> if you're doing it yeah, the legit way. Yeah, you just take way. the Pentasmi and you just won't miss at all. Yeah, and she like isn't as good at hitting you um, in this fight as she is in the second time around. Actually, the Hind D fight is a really good one, too. I, I like the Hind D fight a lot, yeah. Would you say it's your favorite? Mm, no, but I think it's a good fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't say it's my favorite either. Maybe second or third. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. a lot better than most of the fights up to this point. The only thing that sucks about it is like when he shoots the final message, you have to know where to stand. And yeah, that's like probably the that's probably the cheesiest part of the game is that. Um, like really that is really dumb. I kind of forgot about that. Like, I always I, you told me where to stand, so I think that's why I never had a problem with that. But like, yeah, imagine it, first time playing it because like they don't tell you either. Yeah, it's really cheap, actually. Um, yeah, that's probably like one of the dumbest parts of the game. Actually, this whole section is kind of like outside of the hindy fight itself. Like running up the stairs to get to the top of the tower, and then like the cheese at the end of it too. It's all it's it's a little cheap. 
But the high D fight itself is like a lot of fun. It's really intense. I guess the only thing annoying about it is like the hind D will go out of range and it's like you have to wait quite a bit for him to fly back in to fight again, which can be kind of time consuming. But um Yeah. That's like really the only downside of it. Then you have the second sniper wolf fight. We talked about that a little bit. You can kind of just cheese it, and if you do it legit, it's basically a more fun version of the first sniper wolf fight. Yeah. Vulcan. Talked about that a little Great bit fight. too. Yeah. But like, yeah, dude, like when he's running out with that freaking chain gun, he's like the scariest boss in the game to me. Like, dude, it's like first he's walking, then he's like running. I'm like, holy fuck! I didn't know he could run with that thing. Yeah, nothing gives me quite as much anxiety as that Vulcan fight when it comes to all the boss battles. Yeah, the Rex fight. I always struggle with the Rex fight. I don't know why, but like I do. Like I always forget his patterns, and I like die like ten times every fucking time. Yeah, so you can cheese it with chaff grenades as well. Um, I never have enough. Yeah, so unless you're using like the infinite ammo bandana, uh, you know you gotta use them sparingly, I'll say, um, and like smartly. But yeah, otherwise, I had the pa I kind of liked it because like it did feel really good to do like a perfect Metal Gear Rex fight. Um, just kind of like. Walk you like you basically dance between being in missile range and walking up into railgun range because when he shoots the missiles, he's kind of like in stasis. And if you walk up close enough to him, you um have a small window of time when he's uh stuck shooting the missiles where you can uh shoot at him and hit a piece of and get a little bit of damage in on him. Um, and the missiles won't. Uh, home in too close to Rex, so yeah. like there's like a sweet spot that you can stand where I you walk know up. About that, but it's hard for me to like do it. You know what I mean? It's like easier said than done. Yeah, it definitely takes like some experience. So basically, that's like the pattern, and like to get it down perfectly feels like really satisfying. Uh, the first time playing through it, it's a little like overwhelming, uh, which it should be. It's the final boss fight of the game, but um, outside of I guess like fighting Liquid hand to hand, but. Yeah, to me, it's, like, one of my favorite... I mean, I think it's probably the best boss fight in the game. There's actually, like, stuff to learn and patterns and, like, a certain level of mastery that you can have on the fight that I don't think you can really have with any of the other boss fights, if that makes sense. Uh, there's actually some skill expression in it, where, like, yeah, the other yeah. boss fights are kind of just, like, do you know the strategy to cheese it? The only other one that really has any kind of skill to it is probably the hind d fight um yeah all the other ones are kind of just like ocelot just get through it or like know the strat red light green light and then all the other ones are like yeah plug your controller into port two and cheese sniper wolf by hiding in a quarter and using nikita's and I mean, there's uh, also that fist fight between you and uh liquid yeah and that this one's one actually like pretty challenging we have a time limit yeah. Yeah, it's like pretty epic. Like pretty awesome way to finish off the game. I always found it annoying though. I suck at I suck at the fist fight. Um there is a you just way have to like box him, yeah. There is a way he, he also has patterns as well. Uh if you watch like speedrunners, they'll try to get him to do certain moves to get him into like a hit stun. Um which I was kind of doing too at one point. Just by watching videos and stuff like that. 
Um, so there's like ways you can kind of cheese this fight too if you have enough skill and like knowledge on how to do it. Uh, but like playing through it the first time straight up, it's a little aggravating. <laughs> I would say like I I failed it like two or three times I think the first playthrough. But once you kind of get the patterns down, it's not so bad. You can't survive the fall, but Liquid can. Just proves like that you're the recessive gene guy. Exactly. Well, and then you kind of have the and end then, scene of the game where he's like refuses to die, chases you down in the jeep. I didn't like this part dies. of the. I didn't really like this part of the game either. It was like kind of a fun like exit scene though. That's like the most I can say about it's it. It's like the Hollywood part of the game, yeah. Where you're like trying to get out, and he's fucking following you, and he's being a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. And he's about to get you because you're stuck in the car, and then he dies. Fox, die. And then Naomi has that like big monologue and stuff. Yeah, this is such a banger of a game. I fucking yeah. love it so much. I played. Maybe in a year or two, I'll like play through it again. It's such a fantastic game. It's definitely my favorite on the PS1 and one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, I hope we weren't droning on too much at the end, but I really did just want to cover everything because it's like. I would hate to like walk away and feel like I left something unsaid. Something, yeah. Yeah. So I really just wanted to get through like every aspect of the game and just give like my two cents on literally every every little every little micro bit. Um, well, we can't do that, or else we'd be having like an eight-hour podcast daily. Very true. I mean, yeah, I could dive into the story. I guess I'm not getting into every little micro bit. I haven't dove into the story or like some of the nuances with dialogue and stuff oh one thing i forgot to mention that i really love about this game too is the fourth wall breaking even outside of psycho mantis um that's right like, her number should be on the back of the cd exactly case. Try to contact oh my her. gosh i told i i told our audience that uh i would bring this up later and then i almost forgot at the very end of the pod but here we go dude we've come full circle from the beginning so uh one interesting thing about the kind of box set that you bought uh, for the Metal Gear Solid games, which came with like the original PS1 version and MGS2 and 3, um, all in like one nice little box, is that for that particular part of the game, uh, there's no Meryl codec on the back of the case. So unless you had the internet, you were kind of fucked. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but does the game give you a virtual manual or something like that I'm, I'm having a hard time recollecting i know it doesn't have a manual about in the, the case. Original MGS case no the one that's a part of the box set that you had purchased no it's on the um it's not on like the um jewel cases well they're not jewel cases they're like dvd cases yeah but, like there's they're in a cardboard box and it has the codec number on it oh does it on the cardboard box so the box that's yeah. like has the set in it okay See, and here I thought it was like completely missing, but like I do know people that have bought just that jewel. It's not jewel case, right? The DVD case with like just MGS1 in it um, on standalone without like the box to go with the full set. And like it kind of like screws you over not having it uh, if you didn't have the internet. <laughs> Obviously, well, not a big uh, deal nowadays, but. Well, the thing is. I mean, that PS2, like, collection came out, like, I can't remember when it came out, like, mid-2000s, so, I mean, everyone probably had internet by then. Oh, yeah, also, for sure. I mean, how many codec numbers are there, and you're gonna, 
the beginning, like you'll hit it at 15 eventually. I do think that you don't need to call her as well, if I recall. Yes, you do. She has to open 100%. The door. I thought there was a way that you, if you like don't call her and you do like something, like she'll end up calling you or something weird like that. I, I'm having a hard time recollecting, but I think there's a way to get around it. I, I think you have to call her because if you call Campbell and everyone else at this time, they'll tell you to look at the back of the case. Maybe. I just really feel like there's like... So it's because... not, only, not only Baker is, is the one telling you to look at the back of the case. I mean, this isn't in an era of rentals. So yeah. I don't think they, like everybody had the case. You know what I mean? Yeah, they just probably stopped there and never experienced the rest of the game. Bummer. What else fourth wall breaking? Like, there's all the times they mention, like, what happened to the music? And then, uh, what else is there? I mean, there's obviously all the Psycho Manus stuff. Uh, yeah, I think there's, like, a few others where they'll say something about, like, check the manual or, like, some stuff like that, but it's uh, not too frequent. If you need instructions, please check out the enclosed instruction book. But yeah, so anyways, came full circle, right? <laughs> I finally mentioned the, the yeah. box thing. Um, yeah, I love the th fourth wall breaking in this game. It's another like part of the game that I really love. Um, on top of like all the, like you know, it uh the game definitely gives you reasons to like play through it a second time. Uh, like there's like the secret cutscene where you can like look in on uh somebody taking a dump like in the opening scene and like. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Just, like, small stuff That's like that. Johnny, man. Um, where there's, like, little hidden secrets and little, like, different ways that you can, like, play through the game to really get uh, just a little extra out of the game, you know? There's a lot of different options that you can take while playing through. Yeah. But, I don't know. Did you have any other thoughts on it outside of it being, like, a fantastic game and my personal favorite game of, of all time? I'm I'm glad that we finally got to cover it after our namesake is... It's called after it. I hope I did this episode justice. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Um, we had to redo the podcast because it didn't work the first time. So hey, they don't need to know that, right? Yeah. So I guess, uh, I guess. if anybody's actively listening, the reason why this one's coming out late is because we've been very busy, and the first time we recorded, uh, the audio got totally messed up. So this is what you get. Your <laughs> apartment, by the way. Nope, I don't move in until next month. Oh, okay. Yeah, quite a bit longer, but we're kind of doing, like, early packing and cleaning and stuff. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about it other than go play this game for yourself, but I'm sure most gamers have already done that already. It's a must-play and a must-own for PlayStation collectors. Honestly, it's a must-play for anybody that likes to play video games. Just, like, seriously sit down and play it. It's thing. a must play for N64 collectors because um, it's to remind you who's the king of that era. Got a lord over you. <laughs> it's better than Ocarina. N64 I'll has I'll... nothing like that. It's better than Kobe. Ocarina. I'll put it on my dying grave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Anyways, I do think that that is the episode. Thanks for listening. If you took the time to listen to this exhaustive like two-hour long podcast on 
Metal Gear Solid, and hopefully we will see you in a week or two. Depends on how on how long I guess it takes to do some of this stuff. The schedule's a little messed up, but we'll get back on a better schedule once I actually move. Have a good one, everyone.